0: and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Joining us today for the second time, artist and author, Neil Haig. Neil, welcome back. Thank you, great to be here again. Last time we spoke a lot about the pandemic and your book, Dr. COVID. I was thinking of you in between the time that we last spoke and now, because there's been quite a few new variants and we've had like Omicron, (laughs) Oswana variant, Flu-Rona, and now this stealth one.
1: There's room for another book. Yeah, there is room possibly for another comic. I just, I was shaking my head with, you know, despair and also laughing at the same time because, because the book had got all these variants in it based on the last lot of variants, but it's like the Marvel Universe. You can have children of children, can't you? It's like the Eternals and the uh and the what do you call them? The Celestials. <laughs> madness, absolute madness. Some of them it's like they write themselves as well, like Flu Rona.
0: I mean, I didn't see that one coming, but hilarious. It makes
1: you wonder whether AI's written them, doesn't it? It makes you wonder about AI, whether it's an AI creation, because it's so Naff. They're, they're naff in so many ways. Un, yeah, uh, uncreative. creative. Exactly. yeah. Doesn't sound like a think tank took that long to come up with that. No, I don't think so. I was looking at the Greek alphabet and putting that into some kind of algorithm or whatever it is. and Yeah, right. And then, and then you can just hear the voice in the background. You could just hear it. Alexa, what's the next variant? The next variant is Florona. <laughs> it's like or maybe it's, it's like so um, maybe it's
0: like the lottery where the little balls come down when they go, yeah. oh, the next one is the Flurona.
1: <laughs> it's the, it's the same thing, it's hilarious. I kind of stopped really. I mean, I spent I spent six months on that book and I've, I've been I've moved since and I've had a bit of a break and I've had a few other things going on and, and I just as much as I was laughing and all this stuff was coming up. And I'm, and I'm kind of making notes and doing sketches. I'm just thinking, oh, I, I don't, I, I'm going to have to wait. I don't, I think it's too soon to do the next book because the second pandemic hasn't really happened yet. Mm-hmm. It's not oh. really happened. Yeah, uh, these aren't, pa- there was no pandemic anyway, but the, but, but the actual um, variance of the variance of the variance aren't the pandemic, that's the same pandemic. If you're going to have a new pandemic, everybody knows this. God, yeah, we feel like everybody should know it. You have to wait until the other pandemic's over. Mm. So it has to be officially over, which it isn't at the moment because yeah. you keep walking around shops and you keep hearing that we're all in it together. You know, on the on the speakers and on the uh, yeah. all the usual stuff. You know, the tannoy systems and and when the government announces it's over, when any when it gets announced by the world government as such that it's over then you know that that's shutting the door and ready to open the door on the new pandemic. But they're not quite doing it just yet. There's, there's other factors in this.
0: Well, because Bill, Bill Gates in that notorious video where, where he's talking about, well, I call this pandemic one
1: and yes, you know, this pandemic one, yeah. two on
0: the horizon.
1: It, for me, it's the serious fallout from the jabbing process. And there was a couple of news stories. I mean, one that got my interest was the, um, the one of the side effects of of the uh, of the booster was blisters and boils on the skin. And if you read the Book of Revelation, it's in towards the end. Um, it's after the it's after the mention of the plagues that I visited us by. By the you know at the time of the apocalypse the um the unraveling or the revealing and one of the symptoms is people's bodies covered in blisters and um, and also <clears throat> the streets of Jerusalem being littered with bodies now wh- where's been the where has been the heaviest vaccination program Israel yeah so you know and you have to have an open mind you have to wonder well is there a reason for that and is that is that part of the script. Is it part of the unfolding leading towards labelling the second pandemic, as, as as Gates and his wife grinned about, as you quite rightly say on that video? Uh, well, I think I think the second pandemic will get everybody's attention, and and I knew that when they said that, because I wrote this article, this blog on 2022, and and I, and I looked at it and I thought there was too many things going on with what that was all about. What we've just talked about this. This um, next pandemic, and I kept looking at twenty twenty two as a year, and thinking this is this is an important year, especially this month, February, that we're in. Uh, and and I, I kept thinking this is where this is where there's going to be some kind of major event, or a major pushback event, or a major moving forward event. The seeds are being sown this month, literally this month in February, like planting a seed, which is what happens at Imbolc. At this time of year on the pagan calendar, anybody who's into all of that stuff, um, this is kind of like the setting of intentions anyway around this time. New Year's gone. Well, New Year's passed in the Western Hemisphere. The Chinese New Year starts in bulk in the pagan world is what it is at the new moon. And seeds are planted. In other words, shopping lists are made or, you know, kind of what are your plans are made? What are you going to do with your garden on a physical sense in the physical world? So what they're about to do, the seeds are being planted now. There's something going on now, this month, in the background, which is leading to something major. Now, this is just my view. China has not been mentioned very much recently at all. And it's no coincidence that the Winter Olympics are in Beijing with all of its fucking artificial snow and everything else. You know, it's in February now. It's almost like the 1936 Berlin Olympics moment for China. Ah, yes. That's how I see it. China's the only country, as far as I've read, to have two lots of Olympics in such a short space of time as well. They had the one in 2008, the the main Olympics, and now there's this one, Um, you know, a decade between them kind of thing. And there's something about China. It's waiting to, to do what it's meant to do. And that's really important for the script alongside this notion of a second pandemic, which I don't think you're going to be able to hide the fallout. No. I mean, that, that's why there's news stories. And uh, I don't know if you saw this. It was it was on one of the mainstream news feeds on on social media about energy bills going up in the UK. And that might cause a lot of heart attacks and strokes. And, yeah, yeah since, since when did... I mean, I know people get stressed, but since when did... Um, did people start dying of strokes because, because their bill's going up by a grand a year? So and they're, they're basically trying to prepare the general public in all sorts of ways. There's adverts on buses. You've seen it everywhere where if, they're just kind of saying, you know, heart attacks are now common in young people. Uh, ch- you know, children can even have strokes. No, they can't. Children don't have strokes on a, as a commonality. So they're getting ready for something. And this is what 2022 In my view, it's about there's an advert on British TV at the
0: moment for the uh, British Heart Foundation, where there's a young girl playing soccer and she collapses on the field. And like you said, you know, you're watching it at home thinking, well, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's I mean, not normal. I mean, you're you're I, telling me that that's not a rare yeah. thing, but
2: I know it is. Yeah, I mean, when have we ever seen yes. young people collapse from heart attacks
1: on, on young healthy people on a sports field? Oh, hardly ever. I mean, the data doesn't show any of that. Not right. that I'm a scientist or anything, but it just but you doesn't wouldn't make remember. any sense. I mean, there's been a lot of football fans, you know, that have been probably on the on the bench over it all, or on the fence, and then yeah. they, they, they've said, "Oh, you yeah, know." make any sense does it all all these footballers collapsing the common what's the common denominator well it's the it's the it's the jamming that that it's got to be so that's your second pandemic in my view that that's what that's leading to there's I was talking to some friends the other night about Britain in terms of the old world order in terms of the old structure everybody knows that Britain is the kind of legal temple bar financial epicenter Has been for centuries since it was created and then you've got washington which is the might you know the military might of the old roman empire as such the the pentagon and all that and then you've got the ecclesiastical power with the pope with the the jewish skullcap wearing pope in the vatican this was the trinity of the old order if you're going to have a new world order you're not going to have those places in my view as your epicenters they're going so yeah, they would shift. I don't mean literally shift as in destruction shift. I mean, the, the actual new grid would be moved. It would be more likely in a timeline, if it was allowed to happen, to be a completely artificially intelligent, controlled military as such. That would be the science fiction timeline going down into the oh, yeah, future yeah. epoch. But what's interesting is that for some reason, that there's, there's a hell of a lot of cyber security in Israel there's silicon valley of course and there's the equivalent of silicon valley in beijing and it just makes me wonder w- when the shift occurs or if if they try and shift it when they do they can't do it until we've had the 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 full extent of the operation that they want then israel will be an epicenter and and it made me wonder what why why would you be you know making sure your very small population of people would be um, you know jabbed as such why would they taking the brunt of this it's quite possibly more of a getting uh, the human race ready for this major major awakening where on a spiritual we would say on a spiritual level something major happens in israel as well and it's all connected to this to the new pandemic and it's connected to the kind of bigger almost messianic visionary aspect of what the uh, scriptures talk about Certainly, Jerusalem is going to play a major part in this. That's what I'm trying to say, because it wouldn't be so important to the to the scriptures uh, and to the script. But all that being said, Britain being a a spiritual center for the planet, not least, you know, um, London, there is something happening to us on a collective level in this country that seems to be uh, making a, a, a greater impact on on the so-called projection of this new world order. It's like nothing is nothing is fixed, guys. Nothing is, is definitely fixed. It's almost like we're in that period where you can look down a timeline, like a time loop, you can look down it and you can see where it's going. But there's something in my heart that tells me that none of this is actually going to come to that kind of ending. It's a possible projection based on nothing happening, but,
0: yeah, yeah, so, so much is happening <laughs> yeah, yeah. all
1: the time. I mean, look well, at Canada with the truckers and all the, that came out of nowhere,
0: right? Yeah, I mean,
1: it literally just came out of nowhere. And some skeptics would say, Oh, it's part of the script, and it's you know, you see all the time in alternative yeah. circles on social media, oh, no, it's all part of the you know, Joe Rogan's part of the you know, and all that kind of thing. Now, yeah. you know, I'm open minded to anything, but what I'm fascinated by is this constant movement that seems to be showing us that none of this is a definite. And that I, I genuinely believe, and since I talked to you last, I genuinely believe that the the cabal or the magisterium, whatever you want to call them, you've seen the Golden Compass, haven't you? The, the yeah, movie yeah. and the book. Yeah, yeah. I, I like calling them the magisterium now because it just is that. They've looked at it and they've gone, "This is over, isn't it? This is this ain't going to happen as we wanted it to happen." They're on a timeline that is literally running out of time. Their, their timeline. I can tell you this. This is what I know and what I've been told. Their timeline is 2030. And between 2030 and 2035, they have to have that, that new structure in its kind of foundations in place. It has to be there because it has to be there for what's coming in 2040 and 2045, which is this, I, I call it a messianic era based on my readings of the Kabbalah and other and things like that it's this period where the creator is revealed to the human population you know in terms of the religious okay. um, symbolism but you know if you follow the cult of, if you follow the magisterium cult and the the de- death cult and their background and all of that stuff that connects to more kind of esoteric hermetic kabbalah symbolism and all the rituals actually the, their deities um, is not it's not the creator it's a, it's it from what i can see it's a form of artificial intelligence it's a dead creator it doesn't create anything it 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 exists it's the it's the um you know the the, the gnostics called it the demiurge or you know and it's had the alberdoyf and other names but it's it's an artificial god the purpose of this is to ready the the human population to receive their direct experience with the artificial creator and the only way you can have that is an uplink Mm. everybody has to become a walking talking cell phone in simple terms so they have that ai connection in a transhumanist new world order but there's too much damage being done right now to that plan that is it's not going to go to plan it's not going to happen So what would you do if you were in charge of a script and it wasn't going to plan? What do you do? Do you abandon the script? What do you do? You partly abandon it. You change it or or you just kind of go. The the usual thing is fuck it. We're we're, we're just going to cause as much problems now between now and, and, and the time that we've got. It's almost like a game of chess where
0: you can be playing and maybe within five or six moves, you know that you've got the other person in checkmate or their beat. You know the game's won, essentially, or, yeah. or lost. So you're kind of just playing for the sake of playing. You think that's kind of what it's like?
1: Yeah, that that's exactly what it's like. When you play chess, you get used to this kind of understanding of, projecting ahead so you know exactly six or seven moves ahead what what you're going to do based on a series of moves and combinations and if you're looking at a chessboard and you're looking at the combinations and you you can see with the amount of pieces you've got left in other words the amount of script you've got left or your agenda you can you can say well you know what no matter what I do this ain't going to work it's checkmate yeah so um, I I heard I I heard a blog last year or I think it was where there was some uh, military insider talking about something from 10 years ago with this uh, Operation Looking Glass. And it was, and the analogy that he used was a chessboard. And that that's, I, when I heard it, I thought, it's funny, because I wasn't thinking of the chessboard, but I was thinking of the same thing. It's literally, no matter what, even a pawn and a king can checkmate another king. They abandoned Project Looking Glass, didn't they? Because they were, yes.
0: no matter what they did, they were getting the same outcome when they were looking into the future projecting as you're saying the matter like how they played it it was ending with the great awakening essentially
1: that's that's right yeah and I think so many projects do get abandoned there's been so many things especially NASA they're good at abandoning projects but one of the things I, when I wrote Orion's Door and I was looking into the older stuff on that um I, I kept NASA was obviously one of the areas I looked at And I was looking at a ton of stuff, symbolism, and I found it interesting that Orion was a major goal of theirs, Mm. not necessarily going to Orion, not that that wouldn't be ruled out, but but going beyond into the next levels of reality based on understanding what Orion is all about Mm. as a constellation. They even called it the Constellation Project. It was disbanded in the end, and they focused on Cassini, you know, the Cassini uh, Voyager. But the, um, the, the, the logo and the graphics was all about Orion and um, the original badge of the Apollo mission. Uh, and it's got the Orion constellation in that. Why? Why has it, it got the Orion constellation on a moon mission? You know, the Apollo platform. It's got the sun and the moon on it, and it's got Orion on it as well. Yeah, and, and there's right. some reason for that. It's loads of symbolism. Obviously, you've got the, the whole book, the, the Bible. Oh, yeah. Um, about... Did you
2: enjoy it? It's fantastic, Neil. I mean, there's there's one thing I've got to say about it, is the body of work it is. I mean, it's a beautifully constructed body of work. And, you know, you published it in October 2020. Mm-hmm. What do you actually both wanted to say, I'm guessing you were writing this book for quite some years.
1: I was thinking about it since about 2017, but I wasn't writing it until 2019. But you conceptualised
0: yeah. the book obviously before the pandemic came along. So did you intuitively yeah. know that there was big changes coming, and you you kind of wanted to get this book out? Okay.
1: Yeah. I I, I kind of felt that there was something I had to do uh, around. Yeah, you're right. I felt that it needed to be out when COVID was announced. It was with a proofreader in its finished state. I remember now, and I thought that's um, that's kind of an interesting timing because the book is about the finer subtleties of control and the blueprints going back into the ancient world. And, and I've looked at, I mean, the Kabbalah, it's not that I'm an expert on it, but I'd looked at it in great detail, trying to understand it. And the, obviously in the Kabbalah, the, there's, there's various, well, the, first of all, we have to make the distinction between two types of Kabbalah. There's the, there's the original, which is a, attributed to Ju- Judaism, mm. to, to the Judaic mysteries which nobody knows where it really came from. I mean, it's kind of like a 12th century thing that was spotted and talked about and written about in a scholarly way. And there was a series of books and scrolls that surfaced around just around the time after the Crusades. So we don't quite know much about that. But I made a quick, clear distinction in the book the difference between that type of Kabbalah and the hermetic Kabbalah, which is the one that was really going on and active around the time of Freemasonry coming to the public arena in the 17th century. Um, obviously, this thing's been going on all, all throughout centuries, but, but the Hermetic Kabbalah is kind of more Crowley-esque. You know, you've got this kind of understanding of the ecclesiastical symbolism, the pagan symbolism, and the Hermetic symbolism relating to alchemy. All of this re- this, this kind of ties into the Hermetic Kabbalah, spelt with a Q, not the K version, because it's it was an occult information or knowledge that was a little bit like oral tradition you know when you hear the term oral tradition in the aboriginal cultures well the the art of oral oral tradition was a kind of form of receiving something you know like a you you were to receive some information like you were given mouth to ear you know like the secret societies that kind of thing so it was passed on and it was passed on in a way that was very, um, very much in the esoteric manner of initiation sometimes, or sometimes it was telling of stories. If you go back into the real, into the ancient world, it was cave paintings. They were part of the oral traditions, shamanic, you know, campfire kind of storytelling, you name it. So I see the Kabbalah as part of that in many ways, you know, in terms of its understanding. But when I got into it and started looking at it, I started to realise that there was interesting Correlations between alchemy, the astrological understanding of the heavens, and what's been talked about, um, the, not astronomy, but but kind of like um, astro theology. Plenty of authors over the years that looked at this. Even Michael Tazarion was talking about this 10 years ago. And then one of the authors that I, I, I really loved his work, and I've mentioned his name tons of times um, when I've given talks. And he's gone very quiet. I even emailed him, never had a response from him, but I'd love to have a chat with him. And that was Danny Bolton in America. He's the guy that did all the grafting and all the work in terms of mapping the Orion Nebula against all of these kind of high altar, religious, Renaissance-based pieces of art. His book is called Orion in the Vatican. It's an e-book. And so great credit to Danny for for the work that he's put into it. And my book's nothing about that. That, that I've not gone into that. I, my, my book's a codex. It's like a compendium of subjects. So I've pulled that in and looked at it, but I've not, that's his area. But it got me interested in the idea of microcosm, macrocosm. What was happening in the heavens was happening on earth. And the Kabbalah and the use of the terms in the Kabbalah, like the Ketha, the corona, the crown, got me thinking, well, hold on a minute, there's there's more to this symbolism. And you know, I I started looking at things like, well, I spoke to etymologists. I was looking at stuff that relates to you know the Greek alphabet, the structure of the Kabbalah, you know, and how that forms letters, how that relates to logos and symbols that we you know we know about, like like the uh, Extinction Rebellion symbol, you know, oh, which I is really totally an occult X-based symbol. The Doomsday. Um, running now, the, the, the kind of time, egg, egg, you know, the egg timer. Yeah, shape. yeah. What got me interested, besides the correlations, the Orion correlations, as we call them, which is heavily written about by authors like uh, Hancock and Boval over the years. Great books, but th- this book wasn't about that. This My book was about esoterics. And so I started looking at, um, you know, the word Adam, for example. What did it really mean? And how it related to... You know, the idea of the, the word Adama, which relate related to all these letters like alpha, delet, men, mm. which has been used in, in many ways through this pandemic, you know, not, not the Hebrew versions, but the Greek versions. Dalet means a door, you know, talks about the living waters, different expressions. So the letters have meanings. The word Adam has other meanings. It relates to red earth, red it, earth, it, it yeah. can relate, it, it can relate to all of these things. Um, And then then I started looking into that and thinking, well, there's more than one Adam. There's this idea in the Kabbalah, There's the notion of a heavenly Adam. You've got the idea of the lineage of Adam going back to the time of the Garden of Eden through the various incarnations of the patriarchs in a biblical sense, leading right up to the point of Jesus in the New Testament without going into all that. But these dispensations are all connected to this structure Then there was the positions of the the objects, the the, the planetary bodies within the Kabbalah. Why was Saturn placed above? Why is is Darth, as in Darth Vader, placed above the sun, Tiripeth, in the Kabbalah? And and the moon, as Yesod, is this kind of doorway or this other base just above the Earth. And I started seeing these different relationships between this structure and the understanding of how these bodies are all connected, and they also relate to the Gnostic archons. Every planet has an archon as such, uh, Yaldor, Boeth, and Saturn. And the major thing for me was the understanding that the solar system, our solar system, actually is, with with a lot of other systems, <laughs> is actually sitting in the Orion-Pegasus uh, spur of the Milky Way. Mm. So we're actually... You could say we're in Orion as a solar system. Like Our arm, solar system's arm of, like the, in, arm in, of it, the belt, two arms arm of the Milky Way, yeah, of the you know the so-called spiral, and we're in one of the arms. We're very near to Sirius. We're very near in terms of light years and physicality, according to scientists. We're very near to those particular star systems. So I started looking at those more closely and getting into all of the symbolism that relates to that. And the main source of information, of course, was not just more esoteric Western knowledge. I was looking at the American Indian, the Arabic, and uh, I consulted several times with a friend of mine, Pierre Sabac, the author of Murder of Reality, the etymologist. You know, and his books are great, by the way. If you, uh, if you want a really good read, The Holographic Universe is a great book. You should have him, have him on the show at some point. So I was looking at his work. I was looking at the tarot at one point. The idea of Adam and Patar, the Egyptian deity, the, the, the kind of Prometheus-like creator that creates, so it was involved in the creation of the human species in a mythological sense. And Adam being the first prototype, a physical prototype and then Adam from a higher vantage point as a higher Adam or, or the, what they call in the Kabbalah Adam Kadman. All of this symbolism that's embroiled in that and the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and the 22 bones in the human skull and the 22 major cards in the major Arcana. I mean, you're starting to see all this kind of esoteric language that we all take for granted if you're interested in the occult, but actually, they all seem to be leading back to this Orion symbolism. And this Orion, I've said a few times, this Orion symbolism is, if you understand what, what a secret society is really about, the idea of things being a secret, well, the Zodiac is no secret. Everybody, it's a good example. of this. Everything, everybody knows about the Zodiac. Yeah. We know that in the Western Hemisphere, there's 12 signs. We talk about signs that are hidden. Or signs that are, you know, the, the the missing, have you heard of the missing zodiac? The, the serpent, the, the serpent, the cupbearer, which actually is supposed to be between is kind of where Scorpio is. It's that that region yeah, of the zodiac. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which came out in books like the the, the, the the Red Serpent, Serpent Rouge, and you know, the René de Chateau mystery and all those things you can look at. Orion is like a hidden influence, but for a very short period of time. In the zodiac and what fascinated me was the um was the connections between taurus and orion Now, taurus is a major sign of the zodiac it's, it's the bull. it's the you know it's the procession of the equinoxes it, the, the age old, of taurus is orion in the sky as well neil doesn't it yeah yes it does it's facing off against orion for a reason mm. but if you look at the myths orion was born of the bull was born of the uh, of Taurus. Was born of the Taurian female. I'm I'm trying to remember the names of the gods now. There was three deities, three gods that were. It's quite laughable, really. But the apparently he was he was an alchemical birth based on the process of alchemy. And um, the word urine is very similar in etymology to the word Orion. Mm. And there's other connections as well, like Zion and other things. But but this one was quite fascinating because these three gods were meant to be like the three fathers of orion i think it's vulcan mercury and zeus mm-hmm. and, and and zeus who always took the form of a bull in greek myth mythology um for all sorts of reasons and there's a story of him want, wanting this goddess um who, who became hathar in, in egypt you know the bull and uh, protected by the a hundred-eyed god called Argos, not the shopping um, empire. You know, the Argos, the god. So Greek myth is full of all this stuff. And this is where they get a lot of their... The Greek stuff is really important to this because it's where the cabal get a lot of their words and their symbols from. That's why if you look at corporate logos, they're absolutely full of... um, well, there's all the Saturn symbolism, everybody's known about that for 10 years or more. And then there's all the there's there's loads of Orion symbolism if you look for it. There's also the Titans, the Prometheus-based symbolism, and Prometheus as a Greek titan, and, and as and, and Orion as a Greek titan in the myths, are all connected to this.
2: I was gonna say, Neil, the thing you pointed out in the
1: book that I'd never noticed was the divine
2: right to rule was the reef. And I never know, yeah. until you mentioned it in the book, how much I see the wreath
1: now in, like, UNICEF. You see it everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Uh, yeah. On... Yeah. absolutely, yeah. Because that, that symbolism goes back to that, that era, that Hellenistic, you know, the, the kind of... Goes back to Alexandria, you know, the, um, at the time of the greatest empires. It's about imperial mm. control, as well as a crown, as well as a corona, a crown, I mean, honestly, the, sim- the symbolism connecting all of this, it, once you look at it, it's not that I've, I've become OCD all of a sudden <laughs> and I'm trying to figure things out. It, it, it literally is there for the taking. Once, once you understand it, you know, once you really understand what, what's going on with it. And why is it, do you think
0: Orion as a constellation is so important to the elites? Because obviously in, it was important in ancient times, but it's still important now, but it's in it, like it's done in a covert way, the kind of worship or celebration yeah. of Orion. It's not done in an overt way, an open way, like it was in the past. Why is it still yeah. so important and why is it now completely underground?
1: Mm. Well, part of that answer is to do with what, I, with what I was saying a minute ago about the hidden aspect, the hidden aspect of a sign within the Zodiac. So it's a shh it's a secret. That's what secret societies are based on. It's so much knowledge, but you're not allowed to know about this bit. That's a very simple answer. The deeper mysteries relating to it has something to do with the fact that Orion is so connected to the religious blueprints of our reality. You know, the whole notion of a Bible and the the genetic bloodlines of patriarchs is another thing. On a symbolic level, Adam is Orion, the first of the the bloodline. But remember that throughout the, the kind of scriptures, there's the reference to giants, and the Nephilim, the seraphim, and the angels, and the different orders of angels. And all of this symbolism relates also to Orion. It relates to this understanding that in the Greek myth, I don't know whether you know, but Orion in the Greek myth was seen as the, 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 the highest hunter, the, the hunter uh, you know, who bragged and boasted that he could kill anything on earth as such. Right. Nicholas Poussin, the famous painter who painted the Shepherds of Arcadia, the, the, the mysterious painting that led to the, all the subjects around the Da Vinci Code, which led to the uncovering of this ancient bloodline and the, the Ren le Chateau mystery without going into all of that, and Serpent Rouge, of course. Well, he only painted pictures of substance that, made, that meant something, that had deeper symbolism. And he, um, he, painted, he painted Orion, the blinding of Orion. It's like, well, this is a serious secret society painter, a member of the Priory, like other painters before him. Caravaggio was a, a knight of Malta. You know, he was, a, he was a serial killer on the run, protected by the knights in Malta. Oh. Um, P- and Poussin was this um, esoteric painter with massive knowledge, goes and paints Orion. And it's in the, I forget where it is, it's in America somewhere, but it's Orion as a giant. And he's got Sedilian on his shoulder. He's got Hephaestus as he's at his feet. And Hephaestus is the kind of uh, Vulcan god. The, he's basically Vulcan in the Roman myth. In Greek, he's Hephaestus. And, and this is what's fascinating. There's so many levels to it. It's a good example of this. Orion is blind. He's blinded by Apollo and Artemis. Artemis is the moon. Apollo is the sun. Something to do with the position of Orion as well in the, in the heavens. But he he was also known as the giant who could walk on water. It's where the Jesus story kind of connects to it as well because of his size. And... Um, he regained it. He was blinded and regained his sight. You've heard that story in the parables and all the rest of it. But he, um, this, who's guiding Orion, or, or through his servant, sitting on his shoulder, he—he's was the father of all inventions. He was the—he was the god that created in all of the myths, all of the technology. All of the flying shields and mechanical owls and the and the invisible cloaks and the helmets and, and uh, shoes that would make gods fly. He was basically, <laughs> he was like the chief scientist of the gods, you know, the kind of engineer of the gods. But for some reason, he, he connects to Orion in this story. And I go into it in the book and it's a little bit out there. It's very subjective and objective, but... I, I was kind of coming to the conclusion by the end of the book. I think a chapter called Ancient Future Gods about robots and cyborgs. And I was coming to the conclusion, and it's hard to put this down and say, this is the evidence. This is, this is just me feeling my way through the material, that some of the giants in the ancient world were cyborgs. And the technology, this sounds like I've been smoking DMT like Hancock. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he, he, was, he was seeing machine elves You know, he was seeing machines when he was smoking DMT. It's in that wonderful book of his, Supernatural. I can assure you I've not smoked any DMT. This is purely sitting there going into deep meditation, deep traveling, you know, through that process in the mind, outside of the mind. And I started to see it. I started to see this this kind of giant Nephilim connection to a kind of another force that was not human, which was cyborg, this AI intelligence. And, and I, think, I think they come from Orion, to keep it simple. I think there's a, a part of artificial intelligence, which is alien, which is connected to the Orion constellation, the bad side of, of Orion. And I think that comes out in loads of movies, not that the movies are real, I know the science fiction, but at what point does science fiction become real? Based on what the hell's going on around us. So um, you know, when you get movies like I Robot with Vicky, which is like a kind of Alexa on Acid, where does all this knowledge come from? And I looked at the stars and I went back into the myths, into the ancient cultures, like the American Indians, and I was fascinated by some of their stories that related to deities that were connected to Orion. One example is the Ictomi spider, um, the what they call the Ictimi, or Ictomi, which was this giant spider deity, which was weaving this kind of artificial reality. Then I was consulting people like Pierre about the etymology of all of this, and we were talking about Arachnead and how it relates to vampires, and then you have this vampiric aspect of certain things that relate to horror movies and death metal and all, all of this imagery, we know it's all just imagery. But imagery is energy. There's a very well-known film uh, with Michael Keaton in called Beetlejuice from the '80s. But that's the name of the star in Orion, of course. I mean, they knew, Tim Burton must have known that when he made the film because you know it, it's just a misspelling, but it's still Beetlejuice. But Michael Keaton in the film is dressed as a Kashari clown. He's dressed as a an, an extraterrestrial clown. A de- an archetypal deity that, according to the Lakota Sioux, came from Orion. This stuff's known about within yeah. secret societies. It's not. It's known about. It's not. It's not rocket science. It's easy to see, but it, like I say, it's only for. It's the famous quote in the Bible: "For those with have eyes to see and ears to hear." It's that kind right, of yeah. understanding of the secret knowledge. So with so with something like say the pyramids.
0: Obviously, there's a lot of documentaries going into how the pyramids are yeah. actually a lot older than they are. And if you look at the Sphinx and the weathering that's on parts of it and the base, it, it predates yeah. when the Egyptians were by thousands of years. I believe it was 6,500 six, six, years originally old. Originally,
2: I thought they were 6,500 years old. And then they were like, naturally, it's over at least 9,000. So who do you think
1: really built the pyramids? And did they have any help? It's funny, I was talking about this to a friend last night, and we were, I, I was kind of joking as well. I mean, I, I have a, a sense of humour where I, I play with these ideas in my head. If I say the Transformers, you'll laugh your head off.
0: <laughs> Omicron.
1: <laughs> yeah, where do you think Omicrons come from? But no, no, seriously, there has to have been some technology, because there has to, would have had to have been some kind of electricity, something electromagnetic to wield such power. To be able to do well, the what stones they did. were like laser cut almost, so yeah, there has, has to
0: be. Has I to think, be. um, I think there's a good argument that they used sound technology, like they had a better understanding of sound well, and they could probably. maybe cut them with precision. And because you think of the pyramid and all of the chambers that resonate at different frequencies, they seem to me like they had a much higher understanding of sound and sound technology.
1: Yeah, I, I think there, there must have been some. Alien force. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like if you went back now to say the turn of the 20th century and started describing an iPad to your great great grandfather, that there was something back then in the ancient world that was incredible. And I've said this many times: how far into the future do you have to go until you end up in the ancient world? Because it's a loop in terms of. Time and technology, and what there's been so many things on this. Have you heard? Of, I don't know whether you heard of the Wingmakers capsule, which was kind of a um, a, a bit of a farce, really. The, the Wingmakers in, in in South America, where all of these artifacts were found and these CDs, it, it was shown to be a, a bit of a farce in the end. But there's parts of it which have still got question marks over it. But the one that really got my attention was the um, the Black Pyramid of Ecuador. Have you ever seen that one? You know the, the small tetrahedron, mm, um, which right, has got yeah, the yeah. Um, yeah, it's got the eye at the top, and it's got thirty three bricks on it. Right, yeah. And um, and it's meant to have on on the back of it, on the underside of it, there's meant to be some kind of language. His name was Kurt Schilderman, the the professor that decoded it, and he was looking at the wording, and he said it was something. The son of the creator comes from here. That that's what it said on the back of the this tetrahedron. And um, I don't know whether you know much about things like that, but it's interesting with the pyramids, you talk about the pyramids being pyramids, but it made me wonder, in terms of the number three and the tetrahedron, you know, like the idea of three forces coming together to create everything, the idea of the power of... It's where we get the word trinity, coming from the Latin trinitas, which relates to the number three, and, and that being a tr- that being a tetrahedron, this small thing that was found, which... Lit up with a aluminum, you know, with aluminum on it. It just made me wonder how much of that relates to the symbolism we find in the, you know, the vertebrae back to the skull again with the twenty two bones at the top of the head, the spinal column, the thirty three. We have, you know, we have three pyramids, three wise kings. Yeah. We have three canyons in Shaco. We have the three bodies on the crucifixion, Odin and the two ravens. I mean, it goes on and on. We have the crosses, the Chiro cross. You have Buddhas with three faces, you know, it goes Brahma, it goes on and on and on throughout all this religious symbolism, the Trinitas, the Trinity. And it makes me wonder whether that's part of the great secret. But inside the Orion Nebula, there is an area that has been located as the Trapezium, which is a, you know, a triangular area. Not exactly, it's more of a tetrahedron, but this is the area that scientists have recognised as being uh, the, the, the place where the stars are being born. I mean, I watched the programme on it. It was amazing. And beyond that is seen as being some kind of doorway or a portal, excuse me, a black hole. And these are young stars in terms of the age of stars. Isn't it amazing how stars, you know, are supposedly are born and then they position themselves through that process of living their life and they go from supernovas and white dwarfs, brown dwarfs, that kind of thing, as we understand the terminology. Yet we see them from one viewpoint. We see a two-dimensional screen. But if you see them in as they are, they look nothing like that. It's a bit like a person. You think you know a person, but actually they could be nothing like you think they are. But you get an idea just by looking at their, their facade. And uh, it's fascinating with, with that particular aspect of Orion and the fact that below... The uh, the nebula or the area of the nebula is where the sword is, Orion's sword. And then you get all the biblical connotations in Genesis of the flaming sword that was placed to protect the tree of life in Genesis, you know, in the, in the book of Genesis. And this is where, you know, I started looking at it, thinking there's, there's the whole of the biblical narrative in Genesis seems to be focused around this, this area that the likes of Danny Wilton has, has uncovered. Like maybe Eden was like the Jews say, Gan Eden, you know, uh, Eden in the stars, as well as Eden on Earth. Made me wonder that Orion was some kind of location for birthing, you know, the, the, the stars in kind of like a, a celestial theatre that has created all of our, you know, all of our kind of blueprints and archetypes even to the positioning of our solar system, which has changed over time. It's a fascinating subject. You know, it's almost like a kind of um, an illumination when I was putting it together. You know, that quote from the Bible about the lamp in your body lighting up your eye, you know, in Matthew, this idea of it it was an illumination process. And, you know, as well, traveling all over the world and looking at cathedrals and seeing the um, You know, the dome inside cathedrals like the Vatican and the the, the one I'm thinking of, the basiliskas, and the the, the one in um, St. Mark's in Venice is is a spectacular one. And you're looking up, and you're looking up at these these kind of shapes and this light, and you can't help but see what looks to be like some kind of nebula. You know, the eye altars with the dove inside them. By the time I'd finished reading a couple of books, not least danny wilton's book i thought that that's more than just a sun that looks like a nebula it looks like a projector in fact when you look at projectors i I talk about it in the book they actually the way in which the, the celestial bodies are even are even positioned in some ways they seem to be acting like holographic projectors and that's probably what was known about and probably still is known about at the highest levels of these secret societies so i would ask you this is there a projector based in the Orion Nebula? Is that the projector? Is that the projector of life that is, that is refracted by our sun, which is really important, hacked by Saturn and anchored by the moon, affecting this illusory Earth matrix, which is not the place that human beings are really from. It's a series of projections and refractions. An American Indian once said to me years ago, he said, there's nobody here, Neil. There's no, nobody here. And I said, well, what do you mean there's nobody here? What, like here where we're sitting? No, yeah. there's nobody here. We're all projections. Like, like stars, you know, like a, a star is like the point of the projector. And yeah. there's a, that saying there's so many stars for human beings, you know, everybody's a star, Earth stars, that kind of thing. So I, I think Orion, is acting as some kind of like uh, laser, you know, beam splitter, you know, kind of mirror with all the celestial bodies placed in the Kabbalah to give us our three dimensional world experience. I'm convinced Orion is important, but it's no more important than the constellations surrounding it as well. Like like Taurus, like Lepus, Sirius, Pegasus, uh, they're all they're all part of the hologram, aren't they? They're all part of that same battle in the heavens the star wars that has been put into visual form but in actual fact it feels like the stars are some of the stars are at war with each other anyway aren't they Mm. what was it that manly p hall said you know he said there was um he said we're gods of atoms that make up ourselves but we're also atoms of the gods that make up the universe manly p hall so it's that kind of and he was a high-ranking freemason I'm not, he was, um, just for the record. (laughs) I've been accused of it a few times. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, how? so
0: obviously we're about to enter a new age soon. How much of a part do you think that plays in, like these big sea changes that are happening here on Earth?
2: Especially because the age of Orion was obviously 9,000 years ago, and it was obviously the most prominent part of the sky then as well wasn't it? It just reached
1: into its most highest and point. Everything that has been secret is going to be revealed. That's the age that we're entering into it. In simple terms, there will be no secrets. Kind of
0: like 2020 vision, you know, because the the pandemic kicked in in 2020 and obviously you kind of 2020 vision, seeing with perfect clarity. You know, do you think even that's
1: related? Yeah, it is because... um, it's all what's fascinating about it and this is kind of just something that is connected to what you're saying but it's a side thing but the whole idea of orion back with the orion symbolism relates in many ways relates to it's, it's about duality it's about life and death to keep it simple so in some of the hopi petroglyphs you have the god masawa and you have the god kokopeli but they were both representations of the same deity but like two sides of the coin a bit like christ and antichrist i'm just trying to keep it simple without getting into too much stuff and um the the hopi were orion worshippers i mean they literally were if you look there's a fantastic author again in america called gary a davis who wrote a couple of books about orion one of them um, was the mirrors of orion which is quite a nice coffee table size book and I've 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 been there. I've been I've been to the second and third mace, so I've been to those places anyway, and I've seen stuff. But the Orion deity is the major religious deity for all religions mm. in many ways. It's Orion is Christ in some ways. It's multidimensionally. Orion the star and Orion the myth, the giant, is not. Mm. But the actual so called Christ consciousness from a Gnostic point of view is almost like the, the birth of the stars. And where does those stars come from in terms of um, their higher connection to a creator? That's above and beyond the illusion of the stars. You know, like the, what is the hand behind the movements of the stars? Jesus said it himself in, in the Gospels of St. Philip, the Lost Gospels, don't look to the sun, look to the hand that, that created the sun and, and, and the forces behind that, my, you know, my father, the creator, without get, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not kind of preaching. I don't, I don't mean it like that. What, what I'm trying to get people to understand is that the forces behind all of this, the way in which the world has been controlled and things have been kept secret, the age that we're now moving into, well, the age of Aquarius is symbolic of it, is where everything gets revealed. So the opposite end of Aquarius is the lion. It's Leo. And Leo and and the star Regulus in the Leo constellation was also at its highest point in relationship to the Sphinx and the pyramids in that 10,000 years ago epoch with Orion. There was an alignment between the two. I've seen books on that. I'm not an expert, but I've read all the books in the the Baval's book and Hancock's books and so on. And so the lion is 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 prominent in that era. If at the other side of it, the era of, of the um, the eagle or Scorpio and Taurus at the age of the bull, going back to before, you know, to the time before the after the pyramids were built, Ramesses, the Age of Ares, the Ram, you know, all these etymological co- uh, connections to all of this. and we're we're now in the we're we're that we're in that era where all of this is coming to the surface, where the lion roars. The the power of the lion is revealing the hidden knowledge that is almost subtly connected to things like the Orion symbolism, which is tucked away with the bull in Taurus. Have you ever wondered why Mithra, the god Mithra, who is another Orion figure, is slaying the bull in the Deuteronomy, you know, the, the slaying of the, you know, the Roman symbolism? This is the power of the feminine being subdued at the time of the age of Orion. You know, the, the, the battle between the bull is a feminine thing, but uh, the idea of the bull is a feminine. It's the Pleiades, is in there, the Aldebrand star, the eye of the bull. The eye of the bull is the version of the, another version of the all seeing eye. But the Pleiades are so important to the story in terms of the symbolism. In fact, you know, they are the only constellation I've read about, the only star system that all move at the same time. The main stars move like a flock of birds. Wow. That's where that comes from, that understanding. There's so much going on in the narrative, in the stars around Orion. Lepus is another example. Lepus is the hare. The hare is another worldly creature, according to the ancient beliefs and the religions. It's almost got the eyes of a goat. If you look at the hare, it's got the same, same eyes. It's not, it's not really like a mammal. It makes a nest on the ground, doesn't it? It doesn't burrow. There's something unusual about the hare. And to the ancients, it was seen as a, a kind of a, an extension of the demiurge in the Gnostic teachings. It was a mystical walker between worlds. All these constellations, like the fox, like the dogs of Canis Major, you know, the loyalty of the dog with humanity, the feminine aspect of the feline aspect of that, the Sphinx, you know, all of this symbolism in Egypt, all the headed, different headed gods in Egypt, they they, they relate to the, the charting of the stars. And who was Osiris in Egypt? Osiris is Orion. That everybody, anybody who knows their stuff knows that, who's written about it. Um, John Anthony West's book, Serpent in the Sky, is probably one of the best books I've ever read, you know, for that kind of understanding of symbolism. In Egypt, I mean. It's fantastic. So, you know, Osir- Osiris is, yeah, is, is, is Orion. And Orion dies in the sky. Orion literally kind of, you know, rises, becomes upright, and then goes the other way. Yes, yes. You know,
2: Neil, I actually had a question for you, I'll obviously reading uh-huh. parts of your book, and there were a couple of experiences that obviously you've had at archaeological sites. I thought I'd just mention firstly... I was actually travelling through the Sedona Valley back in 2009, right by Flagstar, visiting the mm. Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah. I, if I'm honest, I will I will admit, I didn't obviously know, because I hadn't read your book, the significance of the land I was driving through. But nice. I'll say one thing, when we actually got out of our car and we actually went yeah. for a little walk around the Sedona Valley, all the really crazy red rock formations. It's like that one, yes. one tiny boulder holding up a giant boulder. And you think, that almost looks like a giant just stuck that rock on top of that rock. Yeah. I will say there was an uh, energy field or something, I couldn't quite tell you what it was, but you could feel it out walking in the wilderness. There was something out there. I want to mm. actually ask you about two experiences that you've included in your book, Arise the Door, which is yeah. about your visit to the Nazca Lines in Peru, firstly, because when you actually just finished that book in 2020, Neil, uh, there was 140 more geoglyphs found over there in, in nazca yeah. i just want to ask a little bit what was that timeline over there in peru well the the,
1: the experience in peru was was part of a, a trip you know part of a, a like a kind of a, a group of people that went connected to um, the author david david Ike. you know um, we we were we were very much part of this trip But the thing that the, the red rock formation experience that I remember the most most powerful thing about that was it was the day between on this tour but it was it's 10 years ago now it's a decade ago um, on this trip we went to Bolivia and um, we we spent the day at Puma Ponca, Tiwanaka these sacred places in Bolivia as a group and it had a very different vibe to Peru that's that's the first simple thing in fact Puma Punk felt like there'd been an air. Talk about Transformers. To me, it felt like there'd been a battle of laser beams. It had like this feeling to it, which there was this vibe there that that something had been shooting at something like you'd seen a Star Wars movie. That's the feeling I got at that location. And there was Red Rock there, but the most, the Red Rock that really struck me was at the uh, gates of Lord Amaru, the Devil's Gate, on the border as you come back into Peru. We got there at dusk, so the sun was going down and there was a group of us and um, there was one incident where one guy, he'd been majorly affected by that rock formation. There's something in the rock itself. And to understand what I'm talking about, get the listeners to picture in their heads Skeletor's Castle from the He-Man kind of cartoon. He had that presence about it. And this particular chap had this, this experience, which wasn't a nice experience, and uh, I remember putting my hand over his head actually uh, at the time when he was, before he went into the full-blown, not so nice stuff, and the magnetic energy I could feel at his crown, uh, on my hand was, it was very strong. It was, whatever had got into him, it was very magnetic, electromagnetic. I could feel it. Funny enough, we went back to the location, the day after, went with a small group and a Spanish translator, and the locals were telling us that this location, which is a sacred energy site in Peru, an ancient sacred energy site, people go missing. I mean, literally go missing. There's a doorway, a portal, and they go... There was a wedding party, apparently, according to the locals, and that two members of the party went just (coughs) disappeared. There was
2: something else that I have to ask you about, and it was the face appearing through the cloud formations.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody saw that. Everybody that was with us that yeah, day that saw did. that. The whole group fact, did. A whole group of people saw it. I mean, the photographs I have are some of my own, but mainly, other, you know, we were sharing the photographs afterwards. I've got, read I've got a great one. You know, look at my photo of it. There was a whole ton of witnesses. So it wasn't something that one person cooked up. Uh, but what, what happened in a nutshell, really, was we'd gone back on the third The third day, or the third time, we went back to, let's keep it simple, to do some energy work at the back of this doorway. Because when you went around the back of the Skeletor's Castle formation, it actually looked like a a giant dinosaur, like a a dragon head on one end and a a dinosaur skull on the other. And this was meant to have been created by nature, by the elements. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, so the wind and the rain... They got together one day with the sun and said, it's like a a story in a Native American myth, isn't it? Well, the the wind and the rain and the sun got together one day and we decided and they decided to create a dinosaur and they called it Skeletor's Castle. Yeah. All right. Uh, So there's something about these forces that had created this this area. And we were around the back with a bright blue sky. The sun was you know, it, it was the kind of um, the Easter period in our, our time when we were there in April. The sun was quite warm still. And we were we were there all kind of in a circle. And without remembering everything in detail, there was a point where we were kind of moving in one, one fashion. And David was there as well, of course. He was he was majorly part of this. And we looked up and just as the clouds passed over the sun out of the cloud, a rainbow kind of image appeared, which is unusual. You you get prisms. So it was a prism, basically, like a a rainbow prism. And it appeared. And in that prism, this head started to form and burst out and separate itself from the cloud like a balloon. And in this head was, and I've got the greatest photos of it. I've, I've showed them at various lectures to people over the years. It was a head within a head within a head. It looked like a Cheshire cat, and then, you know, from the Alice in Wonderland with the big green, and then it had like a, a, what looked like a skeleton, skeletor, and then it it also, from this, as we are looking, it looked like a grey alien, you know, with the big black eyes, and then it kind of, eventually morphed, and it turned back into a skull, and then just disappeared. It appeared up in the air above the rock formation, It was almost like an exorcism of the rock itself. In some ways, that's what it felt like. And I, I run this by. I was, I was explaining my 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 experience to the etymologist Pierre Sabak Actually, said to me that the uh, the archons were known as in terms of the etymology in the Gnostic sense and in the Arabic sense, especially as genies, as the jinn. And he was talking about their other name was princes of the air. In other words. They they were able to take form by using the elements of air, fire, water, and the earth. So they existed in all of these elements, but they would use the element to take form. A bit like, you know, you've got the genie in the bottle, the cloud, and you rub the bottle and and the cloud and the genie forms. They'd come out of something. They lived in something, but they would come out of something if they were summoned. And it makes me wonder whether we summoned it. It simply, we I think we summoned the genie out of the rock. That's crazy. I mean, there was another, um, yeah, there was another
2: story about you visiting some giant bones. Tell us about the giant bones beneath the French Cathedral. Oh, (laughs) Oh, yeah,
1: no, uh, that's really simple. Um, They weren't giant, as in giant, they were large. This is a weird, they were large. This, this is this was the oddities of the church. Right. OK. The the church made medieval France, especially, you know, the attracted way, you know, ways and strays. I use that term uh, it nicely, but the, the, there was a fascination for everything. You know, we would call them kind of, you know, you've heard of the freak shows of the 18th century, but yeah, yeah. the church were obsessed with hunchbacks and people that were abnormal. And this one particular place in uh, I think it was it's called um, chasse dur which is in the rhone alps region chasse means the seat of god and this this particular church was in a location god i haven't been there for years i'd love to go back and they had a crypt a lot of churches have crypts yeah. but this crypt was full of bones as they would be that's what a crypt is it's full of death and uh, and on di- they've got them on display it was they were quite proud of their collection of bones going back to the medieval period 13th and 14th century and there was a pregnant woman apparently there was a dwarf a hunchback and the, the bones of a giant who was abnormally tall when i say giant seven and a half to eight foot right, so yeah, yeah, i don't yeah. mean giant as in but the, and that was and i've seen that with my own eyes i thought wow that's a long that's a long femur <laughs> a long yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: well there are of course you see these photographs it's hard to tell what's real and what's not but as far as I understand a lot of remains have been found of really huge not not just very tall humans giants the Nephilim and, and yeah. a, there's a lot of reports of when these remains are found you know suddenly government agencies would come up men in black so to speak and take the remains away or
1: yeah that's true I think I think some of them are genuine but not a lot of them I think a lot of them are just photoshopped. Um, but obviously, but then,
0: in the Bible, it talks about the Nephilim. I, I take it you think that, you know, giants did exist. and they Absolutely. Exist.
1: I think uh, there's a good chance that Orion himself, as a physical incarnation, never mind the constellation now, but the incarnation was Nephilim. The, 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 the Nephilim and the, the, the bloodlines going back to the biblical area like the stories of Goliath and the Canaanites. Of course, there has got to be some, there must have been something, an age at some point where giants existed. Something happened to the to the earth after Atlantis. I think the age of Orion was the Atlantean age, or thereabouts. And I think that the giants were predominant up to that period. And I think the remnants and that were around after the flood as such. And then eventually, I mean, like, like bears in Europe, think about it. We had bears all over Europe, right up until the uh, 17th century, but yet they went. They were, they, were, they were driven into extinction. Well, the same happened with the giants. They, 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 fast, the fascination for giants by a, a smaller species eventually the greater, you know, the dominant species would win. Mm. The, the last of the giants were, were, were removed. I reckon there were still certain tribes that were giants carrying on into the more kind of recent epochs. And I'll give you an example. The Earth Mound and the, the mound-building cultures of the Mississippi Basin in and around North America, in that area, in the Columbus period, when they went over to... America, and they moved into that area, what was noted was that the chieftains of these tribes were giants, even their sons were. So the hereditary giants in charge of the chief uh, of the mound builders through that epoch and going back to the Bronze Age, of course, back to an er earlier era, the chiefs were always taller than the rest of the tribe. So there was something about the genetics of the giants still carrying on in certain cultures. And that was noted down by the Christian invaders as such. That's what the Native Americans call them, don't they? the Christian invaders. And, and it's interesting because in these earth mound sites, there has been the uh, what they call the ogie conic shells and these portable pieces of art called ogies, which there's one in particular that's got a hand with an eye inside it, a hand with an eye in the middle of the palm. And there's a couple of things that relate to that. I've seen it used in... And understood as a magic symbol and it relates to magic of course but it also relates to the hand of the warrior which is something that i'd seen and looked at in in the lakota sense that the hand of kunu the hand of the arm what they call the 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 warrior with his hand cut off and the hand formation relates to orion's outer stars so around the wrist area would be the belt stars and then you'd have the sayaf at the thumb so you've got these stars that form the hand hand of Kunu. And then in the centre of the hand is where the Orion Nebula would be, just below the belt stars at the wrist. And the Orion Nebula is obviously where the all-seeing eye is, the triangular trapezium of the eye. So this is what these ogies were really about in many ways. Fully enough, one or two of them were were circled by an Ouroboros, which is the symbol of the snake swallowing its own tail, which also relates to the illusion and also relates to the projection and the time loop and the moon. And the moon is important because the moon, in relation to the Ogi and the hand, is also considered a portal into the world where we go when we die. This is the white light at the end of the tunnel kind of imagery. And um, what's interesting is that these mound builders, being giants, and the fact that Credo Mutwa, you know the Zulu shaman, Mm had the necklace of mysteries for years before it was stolen, and the necklace of mysteries had a hand on it, and in the center of the hand was the Orion constellation. And I wonder whether, there's a couple of things, I wonder whether there was a a race of giants that came from Orion. Just as an interesting idea, as a concept, are the Nephilim from Orion. It's a vast constellation with many stars, and the main stars, Regal and Betelgeuse, which is actually about to go supernova at any time. Uh, it makes I'm, you wonder I'm, whether or not that's the fire in the sky though the hope you talk about. I'm glad you brought it. Mean, the supernova. Well, yeah, it could go any time. It's right. It's. I mean, in our time frame, you know, it could be tomorrow. Um, it, it's at that it's at that phase in its life, the star, but it's such an important star, the red star of Beetlejuice, which is about 800 times bigger than the sun. And then you've got you know, um, Regal, where we get the word regal, regality, royalty, all that kind of thing, just makes you wonder about the interplay of those two stars in the duality of creation. And when you look at the corporate world and the banking world and the academic world, political world, and I know we've only got so many colours to choose from, but red and blue is used an awful lot in terms of star symbolism, whether it's Yale or um, what? What's he called? Harvard, whatever it is, Labour or blue. the
0: Tories. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's Superman the red and the Blue
0: Pill in the Matrix.
1: Absolutely, that's it. The Matrix is a good example. So there's plenty of kind of archetypal themes that really run throughout it. The colours are one thing, but the imagery is another. There's a really interesting book by Bernie Taylor called Before Orion. Have you have you seen that book? Okay. It's about orion is this hero figure this warrior hero figure as i've been saying in this story there's a cave painting which is called the the wounded shaman a prehistoric painting going back thirty thousand years it's got like a ball and then there's the shaman falling backwards yeah yeah uh, yeah i think that's the orion constellation that's the story of the the wounded shaman the wounded warrior there's also a bird in that store, in that image, like a water bird on a stick, and that's very similar to the the understanding of what they call the um, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the white dove. Uh, you know, this idea of these ethereal birds. There's a lot of symbolism in that book. It's really interesting. There's also the the, the aspect of the horns as well with the the bull. I, I mentioned that earlier, but the the horns. There's a there's a really interesting petroglyph. Uh, in New Mexico at Comanche Gap, it shows Massawa, Orion himself, Orion. Masawa was Orion in the Hopi understanding with horns and a stick. So he is is he is he the Taurian Hern the Hunter kind of shaman figure merging with the Taurian Pleiadian aspect? But his counterpart in the in the petroglyph is Coco and Coco is a solar deity who's always seen to be arising as a masculine solar deity out of the head, out of the head of Masawa, like almost like he's coming out of his mind, you know? So it's like the awakening of the death God becoming the God of life. And I think it's so symbolic of where we're going, you know, in terms of humanity, being obsessed with death, in all yeah. of its forms, which is an expression of fear, to being really interested in life. And I know that sounds such a stupid thing to say, Would people would say, yeah, but I'm interested in life. What are you talking about? I love life. But we're not really living a life in many ways. We're living a half-life bombarded by f- aspects of death. Most people are in fear of death. So there's something about the end of the Orion Age and the beginning of that new age you were talking about a while back, which is something to do with losing that fear of death. And I think that time is coming. I really do. I think I think it's going to get to a point where something major is going to happen. And I think consciousness as a collective is going to get over this issue we have with things that don't exist appearing real, yeah. which is fear, yeah. and this obsession, absolute obsession with death which manifests as insurance policies. I mean, I could go on and on. You know what I'm talking about. It just manifests in our life. Religion is obsessed with death. Fully enough, religion as well, uh, from a physical point of view, is is obsessed with bringing in a new life as well, ushering in a new world. That's what the scriptures are about in Revelation. Fully enough, the horn aspect, I think, is to do... Moses was depicted with horns. Michelangelo showed Moses with with horns. And and it's it's the bull gate. And they say, oh, no, you made it. It's a mistake. Art historians, you know, I love I love them. Uh, it, it, it was a mistake. Michelangelo didn't make no, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's ridiculous. Exactly. He painted the Sistine Chapel. He didn't make mistakes in the Sistine Chapel. He put uh, the creation of Adam in such the composition of that. It's all in it's all in Danny Wilton's book and other books. But there's a, there's a brain that the framing of God reaching yeah. out to, to yeah. It's an it's an actual brain, but it's worse than that. When she go into it and look closely. And I highly recommend Orion in the Vatican as a book, because when you go into it, you start to see that not only is it a brain, but the faces themselves of the cherubim are all perfectly mapped over the cloud formations within the nebula itself. So Wilton is not OCDing over it, and he's not saying it could be genuine, absolutely the, the real thing but he's saying it's, it's it, it is pretty weird that these things correlate so what did michelangelo know did he have did they have telescopes were they looking at the orion nebula in, in the 16th century i mean a 15th century was he accessing information from somewhere else i think so I, I think i think the latter is more likely who knows i mean da vinci was making robots and and doing, you know, making stuff a century before. So, uh, you know, 80 years before. So who knows? There might have been technology of some kind that they had access to, which the general public, all that they didn't even have access to a Bible. (laughs) You know, they just had the word of mouth from the priest in the pulpit, whereas these elite painters had access to all of this knowledge and information. It's interesting because the Lakota have a god called uh, Hayoka or Hayoka, And um, he's also a kind of a, a dual-visaged, horned bowman, which is, again, Orion. It, it's an absolute myriad of, of symbolism. And if you like so if you look to the book, you'll see, you know, Osiris, I mentioned that, uh, and the hunter, the Amazonians had horns, you know, Ashar in, in Assyria. Ashar is a combination of Saturn and Orion, you know, the actual combination of the two with the wings forming the, the rings with the horns of um of uh, the Orion Hearn the Hunter character. And then there's the, the Hopi blessed them with their one-horned and two-horned clans. The whole of the Hopi culture is amazing because it looks like they had a very similar birthing as the so-called Israelites, given their teachings on tablets, like their Moses figure was Maswa, that the fire clan who created the tablets and, you know, the Japanese had the killing or the kin, which are horned. I could talk about it all night. You know, Madonna. Remember Madonna on stage with the old... Um, yeah, oh, yeah, Hollywood? yeah, sure. I called it the cult of Orion. Not to take away from the fact that you have the death cult or the cabal or whatever, you know, people... Authors have called, called this cult all sorts of names, you know, the Illuminati and all that. It's in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. But in actual fact, I think there's an hardcore branch of it, which is an Orion cult. I think the secret society networks know all this. Yeah. I think they know about Orion. They know what
0: Orion means. I mean, just to um, kind of end it on a bit of a positive note, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of things that's happening, like you mentioned the truckers thing earlier in in Canada. And I know what you're saying as well, because there's a lot of sceptics that will come in and say, well, you know, George Soros is behind it. And it's really, uh, you know, it's a controlled opposition or something like that. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's still inspiring millions. Mm. I, I personally do think these things are spontaneous. And like, yeah, like I said, it's still inspiring people all over the world to stand up for their rights. You have things like the nurses in Britain recently that have pushed back against the mandates and there's changes happening there. You've had people like Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan show, which has reached 50 million people. What we're seeing here, is this the sea change in, in real time? I guess what I'm asking is, what do you see happening in the rest of the year? And in such a dark time, what, what have we got to look forward to,
1: do you think? Well, I, I think the, thing, the main thing we've got to look forward to is the end of all of this. I mean, all, all of the control. We aren't there yet. We're nowhere near the end of it yet. But we will see in our lifetimes, in this lifetime, the, the, the breakdown of all of the political structure, ecclesiastical power, we're going to see it all crumble. But as it does crumble, and it will, and I don't mean violently crumble, but as it dissipates in the consciousness, because there is a lack of interest in it anyway, we are going to witness the, um, the emergence of something I talked about years ago, which is the true human being. That's how, that's how I see it, the rise of a true human being, which has got something to do with the truth vibrations. And it's funny i had an email the other day you uh, kind of spamming uh, i looked at a lot of academic papers when i was writing the books tons of it and i'm not digressing this is important and i got this email from this academic group that i have joined saying are you the author are you the same neil A. the the author of the true vibrations now i know somebody who wrote a book called true vibrations this guy here yeah. Uh, yeah, but I didn't, I, I, knew, I knew about it, and I, knew, and I was with him at the time, but this message, it was kind of like, it came through on this email, it was almost like a kind of, you know when you get reminders every now and again, you know when you get little kind of messages, you, do, you get them in many ways, it can, be, it can be a book flying off a shelf, and that's happened to me a load of times, where you just get something, and I, it was almost like um, a reminder for me, and like I needed it at this time we're in now, in February now, that the true vibration is the real reason why we're here. It's the only reason really why why I'm here. Uh, Apart from the love I have for friends and family and, and the human population at large, but the real reason is this true vibration. And what I've been painting and drawing and illustrating for the past 25 years is the truth vibration. That is something that is causing on an invisible level, underneath the surface, is causing these things that we're describing as truckers and the nurses and all these other things to, to actually animate in a way and respond to the lies and the fear and the coercion and all of the evil, the opposite of life, that is actually in, infecting the world that we know this infection is, is, is sourced at one place like any infection it's coming from an illness in the mind but it's it's been orchestrated by these these cults and cabals and all the rest of it now if 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 somebody is unwell and they need healing and you ask for healing or you you make an effort to heal them there's a good chance and if that person wants to be healed there's a good chance that they'll they, they will be healed, unless it's something seriously terminal, which is a, a different thing. But what I'm saying is that we are healing ourselves. The collective consciousness and the true vibrations are almost uh, forming out an alchemical process, a healing process, which is causing these things to occur. And you know as well as I do that before you can get to the good stuff in terms of the, the, the light if you want to call it that, at the end of the tunnel, you've got to recognise that the tunnel is dark. Mm. You can see the light. You've got to recognise that you're in darkness. Out of darkness comes light. Out of light comes darkness. It's, It's almost like, you know, out of bad times, good men are created, and women, but good things are created out of bad things. So this is now a real time of opportunity to grasp it. And you know, sometimes when you're sitting at home and you, or you're out, you go out and you see about six mask wearers. Yeah, you, you think, well, you think, well, is it really changing? Is it, is anything really yeah. happening? You do question it. Oh yeah, it yeah, yeah we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got to have this understanding of a deeper faith that underneath the surface, things are changing, and the world is not going to look the same, of course, within ten years as it did ten years ago, twenty years ago. I mean. I'm fortunate enough to remember the 80s very vividly and memories of the 70s, but, but it's, it's changing all the time. And I'll say this, the great reset that everybody's talking about, the one that Klaus Schwab wrote about, the great reset will happen. You didn't mishear me. There will be a reset, but it won't be the one that they want. There's a completely different world emerging which is actually going to be, in my, my feeling of this, a better world. One that is focused on community, the heart, on what people really want, which is freedom. They wanna be free and love their freedom and love each other. They don't want to be in a situation where they have, uh, where, where they're monitored at every move. China is like the kind of, the worst enemy for itself. You know, China as, as, as a superpower, is the epitome of everything that is that is wrong with hu- the human world in terms of controls, not, not the race. I'm not talking about Chinese people. I'm talking about no, the control the system, the regime. Yeah, the, the control system, the regime. It's everything that is wrong with, with what's happening to us. But you know what? There'll be Chinese people, there'll be people of other races and other groups that know all this and and internally, the, the, the consciousness or superconsciousness is working through them just the same as it is everywhere. And it might seem like nothing's happening, but we haven't seen the major things happen yet. I think the COVID-19 era was the beginning of the end. This was the beginning of all the things that are now about to happen. So watch for the second pandemic, watch China closely, not Russia. Russia is a distraction. I mean, yeah, things are happening with Russia and I'm not belittling what's going on, but it's a distraction compared to what is really going on. And um, and those things need to be, you need to keep your eye on them. But, but I, I don't obsess over those things at all anymore. I mean, it, it's more important to be in the moment every day and actually enjoy what you're doing. Otherwise, you're missing out on all the things that you could have and understand. You know, you could miss out on love. You could miss out on a great opportunity if you're not receptive to what's going on in the moment around you. I mean, that's given us hope and a lovely
2: vision for the future, Neil, where we don't have to be scared and where we should actually face tomorrow with enlightenment, bravery and also hope.
1: And faith. yeah, faith. Yeah, thank you for saying that. But, you know, we all know this. We we all know it in our hearts. Nature, the nature of nature, will not leave you empty. Even if you feel like you've got nothing and you've run out of energy and everything is turning to shit. Actually, nature has a way of still giving you what you need, even to deal with that in that moment. So in nature bore's a vacuum, if your glass is empty, it's going to be filled at some point. You know, whether it's half full or half empty is down to the level of perception, but know that the glass will be filled. So there is nothing to fear, only fear itself, which is ridiculous because that doesn't exist. I mean, physical threats and physical things and lack of food and money and poverty, yeah, they're all real things. And I'm not belittling that, but, and we've all been there. I mean, I'm certainly, you know, I uh, know what that's about but I wouldn't let that be the main focus in my life on, on a like I say on a daily basis I'd rather be this strength for myself you know this yeah. focus rather than something that is kind of neither here nor there and not even worthy of any of your energy or time on an interplanetary scale how bad are we? oh we're, as I said many times we're much bigger than this yeah. one of my paintings is called that we're big we're much bigger than this And to see ourselves on another level of reality, if we could have a special mirror to look at ourselves, we'd be pretty gobsmacked at what we actually look like. Heading towards this time where the fear of death and the fear
0: of unknown is something that we can overcome. It reminds me of what we were talking about earlier when we're talking about the ancient Egyptians and stuff. And they didn't have a word for death, did they? They didn't fear death. They didn't fear the unknown. So it's almost like you were saying earlier, a loop. We need mm-hmm. to come back around to this higher state of being and get over this infantile fear that we have of death and the unknown. Because as you said, there's nothing really to be afraid of.
1: Absolutely. It's a bit a using the word infantile is pretty good, really, because it is like growing out of your toys as a child. And when you look at what the truckers are doing in Canada and what and what people are sensing all over the world, is they're looking at the political structures and they're looking at their action men and their Barbies and going. I used to play with that you've outgrown it we're outgrowing governments we're outgrowing governments as we as we've known them to be yeah and a new world a new world is going to come in a new system i'm not saying governments aren't relevant because we need governments of some kind yeah we don't need them as they are that's for sure yeah, We don't yeah. need elitism and cartelism running governments and corporations and, really? and, and secret
0: societies and the kind of hidden strata of power that is really directing our world and everything and everyone that you just named. Absolutely.
1: It's going to become revealed. Everything in our time will come to the surface. I think there's a quote in the Bible, a quote in the, in the New Testament about all that has been hidden will be revealed yeah. in the times that we're in, the yeah. sign of the times. And do you think that... When they talk about the end times, what
0: they're really just talking about is the end of an age. They're not talking about yes. the end of the world. The, the world alternate. will never end.
1: Yeah. The, 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 world, the world as we know it, as we understand it in this time frame continuum, is not infinite. Infinity is infinite. We are infinite. This is the problem. We see ourselves connected to the physicality of the earth and the positions of the stars and all those things like uh, we've been talking about. But in actual fact, our true source is infinite. So therefore... Even if the world ends, even though it doesn't, not in that sense, we never end. We're infinite. We go on forever.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching
1: The Skies.